I'm not gonna play this video because YouTube are hypersensitive about bad language. But in this video, which any of you can go see on Twitter, Jamal Charlo basically comes out and insults Eddie Hearn, insults uh, Danny Jacobs and, well, he doesn't really insult Danny Jacobs, he calls him out and he insults uh, Demetrius Andrade. Now, him calling out Danny Jacobs is a bit funny because Danny Jacobs confronted him face to face and Jamal Charlo didn't want no smoke. Let's be real. That video's online. And as far as what he says to Demetrius Andrade come to the uh, Wilder Fury fight, well, why would he need to do that to make a fight? I mean, this guy's just talking nonsense. I don't know if he was drunk in this particular video or what. But the main thing I want to talk about here is what he said about Eddie Hearn because he basically exposes himself or, or, or let me rewind. He basically, because <laughs> that sounded off key, but he basically exposes the PBC fanboys who said that Eddie Hearn was lying about making Jamal Charlo an offer. Yeah, he exposes them. The jokers that they are. I mean, we all know that Eddie Hearn sent Jamal Charlo an offer. We saw Eddie Hearn come up with the email on screen on his phone. He showed it to Radio Raheem. But yet there's these PBC fanboys running around saying, Eddie Hearn's lying. It wasn't a real email. It wasn't a real offer. Yes, it was. Jamal Charlo has now come out and said, stop contacting me, Eddie. Talk to Al Heyman. Now, the reason this is so ridiculous is because as Eddie Hearn explains in this interview, and I think in this interview as well, and you can see these interviews that Eddie Hearn is referencing um, on YouTube. Jamal Charlo was running around saying that he is his own boss. That Lions Only Promotions is, you know, who you need to contact, which is him. And he was telling Eddie Hearn to holler at him directly in several videos. He gave Eddie Hearn his email address. If Eddie Hearn is not supposed to contact Jamal Charlo, why has Jamal Charlo given Eddie Hearn his email address? So he asked Eddie Hearn to contact him, to holler at him. Eddie Hearn does exactly that. He hollers at Jamal Charlo, he sends him an offer, and then Jamal Charlo doesn't respond to the offer, then he takes to social media to start cussing out Eddie Hearn, saying, don't stop uh, contacting me. Contact Al Heyman. You know, if I was Hearn, I might even just forget about this guy altogether because he's clearly not serious. And... Somebody asked me to do a video on the PBC and how Al Heyman manages to brainwash his fighters to the extent that he does. I think that one of the reasons that Al Heyman's able to do this is because of the fighters that he retains. Yeah? Most of the, the fighters that Heyman has that behave like Charlo or Wilder these are people with very low IQs. You know, the Charlo, Wilder, the uh, Adrian Broners of the world. These are really low IQ guys. You know, ghetto trash. That's how most of them come across. And even though Al Heyman is the opposite of that, Al Heyman's a highly educated man, very, very intelligent. He knows that these type of individuals are easy to manipulate. He also knows these type of individuals appeal to a certain demographic of the American audience and worldwide audience. As I said previously, within the black community in the UK, certainly, most of the Deontay Wilder fans are people who are impressed by the hood culture. Yeah? People who just, they might not necessarily be 
living in the hood themselves or be participating in any, any kind of hood activity, but they're just impressed by the hood culture. They're impressed by the hood mentality on some level. Those tend to be the people who in the black community in the UK are big time Deontay Wilder fans. The, the most ignorant among the black community tend to be fans of Wilder. And Al Heyman understands that that demographic will come out swinging in favor of their fighter. Al Heyman understands that that demographic is very influential in terms of pop culture. So he's appealing to that demographic. He's appealing to the an, an ignorant demographic of very young, impressionable uh, people who are, again, impressed by the street culture, the hood culture. And so the fighters who are ignorant and impressionable, like the Charlos, like Wilder, he puts them front and center, which is why you see them coming out with nonsense, like Jamal Charlo is here, like Deontay Wilder comes out with every day. And you've got people like Errol Spence, who, you know, early on in his career, he wasn't coming across like that, but he's, again, impressionable. And he's fallen under the influence of people like the Charlos and Broner and all these kind of people, you know, Tank Davis. I mean, look at the stuff that some of these guys get involved in outside the ring. We're talking about guys who are millionaires and they're catching all kinds of cases like Broner has, like Tank Davis has. And Al Heyman enables this type of behavior. You understand? So, yeah, that's what that is. <laughs> Again, if I was in Eddie Hearn's position, I might even just forget about this guy altogether because he's clearly not serious. But he says he's going to send an offer to Al Heyman Again, one of the reasons he didn't contact Heyman in the first place is because Charlo asked him to contact him directly. He said he's, he's, he's his own boss. Well, if you're saying to now contact Heyman, then that will suggest that you're not your own boss, Jamal. And another reason that Eddie may not have contacted Heyman before is because he, he may have felt like the offer won't get to Charlo, that Heyman will just look at the offer and you know throw it in the bin because he doesn't want Charlo to go over and fight on the zone. He certainly didn't want Deontay Wilder to go over and fight AJ on the zone. So this is what you're dealing with, with PBC. There's some jokers over there, I'm telling you. They're really doing boxing a massive disservice at this stage. It's, it's gone so pear-shaped over there with PBC. I, I'm hugely disappointed because I had high hopes for PBC. I think the vision that they presented to the boxing world when they initially launched was... A great vision. But since that time, they've just turned into the biggest propaganda machine in the in the world of boxing, and they just spew out constant lies. It's just unbelievable with PBC. And they put these ignorant fighters front and center who just talk absolute rubbish. But again, they appeal to a certain demographic of unintelligent uh, mainly young people who are really impressed and enamored by the hood culture. That's what they do. Well, I'm from the hood. I'm from a rough environment. Yeah. And I'm not impressed by this. <laughs> yeah. I don't live in the hood no more, you know, but that's where I grew up. That's the environment I came up in. And, and that's why, that's one of the reasons I can see through it. See, a lot of the people that are impressed by the hood culture don't really understand the hood culture from the inside out. They don't really understand how fake a lot of it is. They don't really understand how some of the tough guys on the roads are not really that tough. I spoke about this in a previous video. Once you know certain things 
about what the hood really is about, you stop being so impressed by it. Yeah? At one stage in my life, I got to a point in my life where I realised, you know what, this hood stuff, this hood culture is just toxic. And really, it's, it's, it's not even strong, it's weak. It's going to drag you down. And I mean, you look at the likes of, as I say, Tank Davis, Adrian Broner, they shouldn't be getting involved in half of the stuff they're getting involved in. What are you getting involved in stuff like that for? You're rich. Same way with uh, Errol Spence, nearly lost his life because he's hanging around in clubs and drinking this and doing that and the other, which isn't necessarily exclusively a hood thing, but the ignorant attitude that comes with the hood culture, you can see that is infected Errol Spence's brain. The recklessness. It's such a shame because I really rate Errol Spence as a fighter, always have. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about Jamal Charlo clowning himself. Let's be real, you playing yourself. Back in the 90s, there was a rapper called J. Rue the Damager. Well, he's still around now. But back then, he was a pretty big name in hip-hop music. And he did a track called You're Playing Yourself. Great track, by the way. Just look up J. Rue the Damager. It's spelled J-E-R-U. And Damager is spelled D-A-M-A-J-A. -A -A. Yeah? J. Rue, the J. Rue the Damager. And a track called You're Playing Yourself. And you'll see what I'm talking about. So, yeah. Jamal Charlo playing himself, really. <laughs> He's playing himself in this video. We'll see if anything could be salvaged from the situation. Because, of course, I would like to see Demetrius Andrade or Danny Jacobs fight Charlo. But the way he's carrying on, you know, he's under the Al Heyman mind control. A very ignorant, impressionable individual. And, um, yeah, it is what it is. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening, I'm out. Hatman merch is now available. We got t-shirts, vests, hoodies, and more. Just click the link below. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. A lot of people are talking about these recent comments from Vladimir Klitschko, where he said he would rather Tyson Fury beats Deontay Wilder because then we could have an undisputed champion before the end of the year obviously implying that AJ could then fight Tyson Fury for all of the marbles. Well, you need to go and watch the actual video itself, which is here on this website, thenational.ae, okay? Go watch the video itself because what Klitschko is actually saying is he's teasing a comeback. And the reason he says he, he'd prefer Fury to beat Wilder rather than Wilder beat Fury is because he wants revenge over Tyson Fury. That's what he's kind of joking about in the video. It's not because, you know, he's got anything against Wilder per se. He says, believe it or not, I'd 
I'd want Fury to win so then I can come back and have the rematch with Fury. Yeah, that's what he says. Now, as far as uh, Deontay Wilder fighting in an undisputed fight, Wilder is, again, I, I keep having to say it because new viewers might get the wrong impression when it comes to my attitude towards Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder is a fantastic fighter, but the man is an idiot. Okay, let's not make any bones about it. The man is an idiot. He is a country bumpkin. He is a hillbilly, not intelligent. He's pea-brained. I'm just being real with you. He's very easy for the people around him to manipulate, and that is exactly what they do. The Shelley Finkels, the Al Heymans, they wind him up and set him, you know, set him out, set him off, and he'll just spin around like a headless chicken and perform for them exactly as they want him to. That's what Deontay Wilder does. Not a smart man. So, with regards to trying to make an undisputed fight, it really has nothing to do with Deontay Wilder at this point. It's really down to Al Heyman and Shelley Finkel. If they want the undisputed fight, then the undisputed fight will happen. But at this point, it appears as though they don't want it. And if they even entertain the possibility of having the undisputed fight, they only want it on their platform and on their terms. They're not willing to entertain having the undisputed fight on zone or wherever else. Okay, so that's the problem we're dealing with at the moment with regards to the undisputed fight. And just finishing up on Deontay Wilder again, the guy has come out in recent interviews and said that Anthony Joshua is irrelevant. I mean, this is what PBC, the spin meisters, the propaganda meisters at PBC are trying to convince the public of that Anthony Joshua is irrelevant. Because that way, they don't have to have the undisputed fight. Do you understand? This is the psychological tactics that's going on here. Shelley Finkel and Al Heyman have got no intention of putting Wilder in the undisputed fight, it would seem, at the moment. Maybe, you know, they'll get brave or something. I hope they do. But at the moment, the fact that they're just trying to diminish everything Anthony Joshua does just appears as though they don't want the undisputed fight. Because if you want the undisputed fight, you wouldn't be trying to diminish Anthony Joshua every second. You wouldn't be trying to, you know, rubbish him. You'd be saying, oh yeah, we want that undisputed, we want this, we want that. You'd be trying to build that fight up, not say that AJ's irrelevant. Because if you're saying that AJ's irrelevant, then you don't need the undisputed fight, right? And that's the road they're trying to go down. Obviously, a lot of the impressionable, unintelligent PBC fanboys, this is straight over their head. <laughs> okay, but anybody who has above, you know, an IQ above kindergarten level, you can see this for what it is. PBC propaganda. Telling Wilder to go out there and say AJ's irrelevant. I mean, are you mad? AJ is the biggest cash cow in world heavyweight boxing. He's got three of the four major belts. He's got a far better resume than Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury have got. How the hell is that man irrelevant? Madness. But again, it's all to do with propaganda and trying to manipulate the public perception. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen some Anthony Joshua interviews recently where he's just kind of like tired of Deontay Wilder. You know, he's just like sighing and saying, it's difficult dealing with these people. Very difficult. He pointed out how they've treated Dylan White, for example, who's been number one challenger for God knows how many days. He said, I mean, that's just Dylan White as the mandatory challenger. 
Imagine how they've been treating AJ as a fellow champion who's far more of a threat to PBC and Deontay Wilder in the ring and obviously financially outside of the ring. So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the, in the comments below. And with regards to this rematch with Tyson Fury, I'm going to do a separate video about Wilder constantly saying that Fury is pillow fisted. But that's one of the reasons that Deontay Wilder took the Fury fight in the first place, the first fight, is because he thought that Fury was done. Al Heyman, Shelley Finkel, they all thought Fury was done. This is what Fury's dad has been saying, John Fury. That's what Tyson Fury has said himself. That the reason they took that fight is because they fought Fury coming off a long layoff. He only fought a couple journeymen, lost loads of weight, had drink and drug problems, you know, psychological problems. They thought it was going to be a walk in the park for Deontay Wilder. That's why they took it. If they thought that it was the same Fury who'd taken on Klitschko, they probably wouldn't have taken the fight. So, yeah, and with this rematch, Wilder's talking about Fury can't punch and feather-fisted and all this kind of business. If Fury was a serious puncher, would Deontay Wilder be taking the fight? With the skills Fury has, along with tremendous punching power? <laughs> it seems as though, you know, Wilder is telling us all why he is taking on Tyson Fury for a second time. Obviously, there's a lot of money in it. Um, and it's an opponent who, stylistically, Wilder's people seem happy to put him in with, in with again and again because they don't think he poses that risk of serious punching power to go along with his skills. So, yeah, sad state of affairs. If Tyson Fury manages to beat Deontay Wilder, he's probably going to have to beat him twice because, you know, there's going to be a rematch clause. If he manages to beat him twice, then maybe we can get an undisputed fight between AJ and Fury because, as Eddie Hearns has been saying in recent interviews, he thinks that Tyson Fury would fight Anthony Joshua at a drop of a hat, basically, for an undisputed fight. All the marbles, he believes that Tyson Fury would do it. But with Wilder, it's going to be way, way more difficult to get him into the ring. So, yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Is It is that time of the week, 15 minutes to dissect, discuss all the latest in the world of boxing. And Barry Jones and myself were joined by man of the moment, Kel Brook. Kel, good to see you. Very well. 14 months you've been out of the ring until Saturday night, victory over Mark DeLuca. How does it feel to be back? I feel like this world, you know, it feels great to be back. A year and a half out and uh, when I was stood there looking round at all the fans, <laughs> I thought, yeah. Here we are again. We've just been talking, me and, me and Baz, about it. You know, it's what a feeling it is. You know, the fans giving, giving, just giving back to him an amazing show. There was a lot of talk beforehand, the questions of what has Kel got left? A long time out of the ring, year and a half, like you say. Did you feel the pressure going into the fight? I did feel the pressure, you know. It didn't help me giving me that pressure, telling everyone all week I'm expecting sensational performance. I put that pressure on myself and actually... Uh, I was thinking that, you know, when, when, when they were saying five minutes to go before I walk out, the I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking <laughs> the nerves, it was like my first fight again, you know, it was. But, you know, once I got, once I got past a couple of rounds, you know, a bit of, you know, the timing were off for, for a few rounds, but then the timing came, you see the, the, see the slashing, jabbing shot, what, you know, what took him out, it was perfect timing, perfect time shot. I knew that shot could come, you know, because the power's there. As soon as the accuracy starts coming, the confidence is there, and uh, obviously we got the victory we wanted. Did you feel that, because that, that, it was a long time ago, that, that 
renewed nerves you had give you like a little bit more sharpness maybe because yeah. you're more aware of yeah i think that it's always good you know when you're nervous obviously yeah. the cat like reactions are there because you're sharp and you and that's what that's why that's what Fight keeps you light, isn't it yeah you could see yourself just before your ring walk you take a massive deep breath yeah <sighs> <laughs> i think here we go again yeah so i just take that i take it all in and you could see like in my face you know like i think I was thinking, you know, here we are now, this is the moment. You know, millions are watching now, I've got to perform, <laughs> I'm on that stage, the magnifying glass is going to be out, and uh, I perform. But to be honest, you are at that level now where, to be fair, because you are a name, and you're expected to be the whatever when you come up against most of the time, that you have to, or you must feel that you have to put on, not just a win, yeah. a performance. It has to be like a stand-up performance. Yeah, it's not, it's not about just getting in and just getting the win, you know, looking ugly and getting the win. It's not about that. It's, I've always put that pressure on where, you know, I, I need performance, need to be consistent, the performances, yes. because I'm at that level. I'm on the top table in the, you know, at the elite level of, and the fans, you know, they don't want to come and see you hot and cold. They want to see you blowing hot every time and being, and being, and flying, flying high. And consistency as well, it's more, to, more so outside the ring. Oh, you live your life now, because you looked, in great shape. I know you moved up in weights, but yeah. you did. He looked in fantastic. You were you were ringside. You looked yeah. in fantastic shape. Yeah, and that before the fight, you said it's, it's the best you've ever felt. It is. A, a lot of fighters do say that. I said that, but it was. <laughs> it, it's true, it's not always been true. It's not always been true. But the conviction from me, you could tell in the press conference before. You know, it's infectious what I'm saying. I'm giving the signals out. You know that I've that I'm, I'm this guy now, I'm living like an athlete, I'm, I'm doing exactly how, you know, what, what an athlete should do, a professional athlete at my level. More experience now, and I've got the fire in the belly. You were back with Dominic Ingle as well for this fight, how good was that for you? You know, it's great, you know, obviously, it's, it's, where, it's, where, it's where I've been growing up, old man Brendan Ingle. You know, spent so much time with me, building me confidence up, you know, taking me out in his car, just talking to me for hours on, on end. And, you know, of course it's great. There's some Liam Williams that we've been yeah, on about, you know, he, you know he's, he's set the bar high. I had to set the bar a little bit <laughs> higher, you know, show him this old dog. But, but I'm just saying that this Barrett, you know, we're just, we're, just, we're just sharpening each other in there because we all, we, we all, wanna, we all want Dominic or whatever to, 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 like, to impress him. So we're always pushing that extra bit more and, and it's, we're getting great results. I was going to mention that because the Ingle Gym, you've been through a few generations, haven't you? Because you were there with Naz yeah. and then obviously Johnny. Johnny and Naz can put me age now. Right? <laughs> yeah, but they You're said that. Me. And obviously, no, but then Junior Witter, so you've, even though you, you, know, you sort of took over, you were under their spotlight, and then you sort of took over from Junior. Yeah. Do you feel like you're still the top dog now? I still feel that like I'm top dog, and you can just feel that when, when, when I'm in the gym, you know, uh, because, you know, they've they seen what I'm doing in the gym, you know. Everyone trains a little bit harder. Yeah, everyone's they? a bit harder when, I, when I'm there and pushing on because I'm the man to, you know, as, as I, like I'm saying, I'm old in the game. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Not, but I'm, I've, got that, I've got that bit between my teeth. Have you seen professional young, so you've had a long yeah, career? Yeah, I've, I've had a long career, but, you know, I've, I've, like I said, I'm, I'm flying really, I'm flying high, I've got the Irish Tiger, I'm pushing hard <laughs> like, like I'm a challenger. It's like I've never been a world champion before. I'm really pushing it's in, a good place and to it's be. within. Yeah. It's a great place to be. There's lots to talk about what you're going to do next, who you're going to fight next. One of the potential opponents was actually sat behind me ringside on Saturday night, Liam Smith. Is that a possibility? Of course it's a possibility, you know, but... You've sparred before, we, we have sparred before, but like I said, I'm after world titles and stars. You know, I think, uh, is, Liam, is Liam one of them stars? No, I think me and Liam, it'd be a, a great British, you know, uh, 
a great British fight, you know, a derby fight. But you know, I think someone like Daniel Garcia or Michael Garcia, you know, some you know some some names like that, you know, like a star name, you know, because me and Liam it is a great fight, but it's like is he a star? I'm after star quality opponents, and obviously, like I said, world title fights. So yeah. you literally only want the belts. I just, I don't, like I said, I want to be a two-time. I've got, I've got no, no time to waste now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm on the last chapter of my career. I want to give it me all. I'm after. I don't need no more warm-up fights. I'm after them big fights. If you've got a belt, I'm here. <laughs> I want you to go on. I want to. What about Khan? Are you fed up of hearing Khan's name now? Is that done, or is, is that still a possibility? Come on. It's, it's like, like we've just been talking about that forever. It is. It's like we've been talking about that forever. It's, you know, after seeing me sad, he's gonna think. You know, he was probably better off getting me before when when I weren't when I didn't have this spirit with me, this this fire in the belly. You know, but I, you know, you see me there. I've had a year and a half. I'm only gonna get better. You never stop learning, and it's not like I'm. It's not like I'm training to lose weight. I've always trained to just lose weight. Now it's not about weight. It's about improving my skills and, and, and stuff like that. You know. And Do you feel like you're still learning? I mean, not just not just how you. I know you're living your life different now and more a more focused maybe. Because when you're young, obviously things come easy to you, so you yeah. take it for granted. And obviously, the older you get, you realise things are not you're not taken for granted. You have to concentrate, but. Yeah. Do you feel like you're still learning technical stuff in the gym? I honestly do. I honestly do believe that you never stop learning. I know that, like, what's that saying about old dog, new tricks? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, you know, I think when I've got, when there's no panic, for me personally, it's always, am I going to make the weight? I'm just concentrated. Yeah, on, yes, yes. But once my weight is good, I can, I can have a little play then, and I can start working on different things, dummying, doing different things, turning out, doing different things, switching, all kinds of different things. It was a brilliant performance for yourself on Saturday night. Did you manage to watch much of the undercard? Did you see Terry Harper? I mean, she did Yorkshire proud. Absolutely brilliant performance from her. Brilliant. I did actually did actually see clips of her, and she. I, I was telling her, you know, because she never gives herself. Um, she never. She, she never. Don't, she don't know how good she really is. She always puts herself down. I said, you know, you. You're a belter, and <laughs> like you say, you you are. You've got it all. And look, she become a world champion. And I think she she's going to be the next from from Katie Taylor. I think she's the one. She's, she's got real talent. She was she? great. We were speaking about last week about the fact that it was a massive step up for her in class. You know, boxing a world champion with plenty of experience. Only lost to Katie Taylor, but she went in there full of confidence. You know, like you talk about confidence all the time, and it's a big factor. She went in full of confidence, and I thought she she was disciplined, but still tenacious enough. To make sure that that the champion couldn't exert any sort of experience mm. over her, and, and she's only she 23. Don't forget, 23. She's, she's a little, she's a baby, and she's still growing. And like I said, I was banging onto her. You need to be more confident. When she goes in there with more conviction, she's going to be unstoppable. She's doing just fine. She's going to be a superstar. On Saturday night, elsewhere, it was announced that Josh Kelly will face David Avanissian. That's March the 28th at the O2. That's going to be a massive night there. You, Cal, you, you've sparred Avanissian, right? Yeah. How did that go? You know, he's an handful. He is an handful. In what Dave. way? He, like, he, just, he, he, he keeps coming. He's very fit. He keeps coming. You know, he's, he's very tough, durable. And, uh, you know, he knows what he wants. He wants to win. He wants to hurt you. And, and you, know, you know, Josh Kelly here, you know, he, he's, not, he's not being proven for me. You know, I'll tell you something. For three or four rounds, he's, he, he's the best thing since time spread. You know, he's got the head movement, he's got the, he likes looking at his work, you see. He likes, but when it starts getting a bit, you know, tough in there, I, you know, I'm, I think he's a fantastic fighter, but I'm telling you, this one... It's too soon, do you think? I think maybe. It, it, feels, it feels like that. I think it feels like he's going to you know, come of age. And if you're good enough, 
you're ready. And yeah. that's what they say. And I think it's a step up for him, and it's a big step up. Obviously, you know, he's used to your boxing from home. He went to Spain to win the European title against a, a big puncher. So, and, and I think he's not been a knockout puncher. Every shot solid, yeah. and that can that can take you out of your comfort zone. We are running out of time, Kel, but I've got to ask you. We saw you training before the fight with a couple of Sheffield United players, and of course Chris Wilder was there on Saturday night. Yeah. What have you made of the season, and what, and what was that all about? Oh, the season and Wilder. You know, Wilder. I'm telling you, he's he, he's got he's got us to to where we are. You know, he's very passionate. You know, I was waiting for these guys for about an hour and a half because <laughs> uh, you know after training. You know, Chris Wilder, we're grilling him. You know, he's got passion there, and obviously, it shows you in, in, in his play. So, we'll see you back at Bramall Lane fighting. Please, let, <laughs> let me go in there and get a win, and, and, and like, like I said, do the city proud and, 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 just, and just be there. And give well, him. best of luck, and we're looking forward to seeing what else you've got to give in 2020. Thank you very much for joining us this week. Good video here from Ade. I just want to expand on some of the things he touched on in this video. So as we know, Josh Warrington has split from Frank Warren and re-signed with Eddie Hearn. I think that Frank Warren actually did a pretty good job for Josh Warrington. Warrington initially left Hearn because he felt like he wasn't getting the attention he needed from uh, Eddie Hearn, the push. So he left Hearn, joined Warren, and got exactly what he wanted. But in boxing, the landscape changes all the time and therefore, as a fighter, you have to stay light on your feet. You can't get tied down with one promoter for too long. You have to keep your options open, which is what Josh Warrington appears to be doing. So now he's signed back with Eddie Hearn because he thinks that's the place to be right now. So no problem with anything Josh Warrington has done in his career by way of switching between different promoters. Now, the fact that Josh Warrington has left Frank Warren makes more sense of some of Warren's recent moves. Now, in this interview here on Seconds Out, Warren tries to insinuate that he didn't want to re-sign Josh Warrington because they're going to make the, the sanctioning body, is it the IBF that Warrington has the title for? I forget now. But whichever sanctioning body it is, they're going to make the Galahad rematch. And Frank Warren tries to insinuate in this interview that he didn't want to re-sign uh, Warrington because he doesn't want to do the Galahad rematch. Now, <laughs> you can believe that if you want. I don't believe it for a second. Josh Warrington is a very good ticket seller. Would Frank Warren really, you know, turn his nose up at the opportunity to re-sign a very good ticket seller like that? It's not like Frank has got a load of good ticket sellers, is it? Just because there's one fight that he has to have, a mandatory that Frank doesn't like, he's going to turn his back on re-signing the guy, possibly to a, a multi-fight or multi-year deal? Nah, I don't buy it, Frank. Uh, Frank Warren is a very proud individual, and I think he's being economical with the truth, and I think he's being a little disingenuous here, or more than a little. But the moves that Frank Warren has made recently that I'm talking about, which makes sense now, are him putting Daniel Dubois versus Joe Joyce on pay-per-view because as Ade talked about in this video, Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois are not household names in the UK. Outside of hardcore boxing circles, very few people know them. And as such, this fight between them would have been a great opportunity to expose them to a wider audience, to expose them to the casuals and actually build them up 
But instead, they're putting this fight behind a pay-per-view paywall. So they've missed an opportunity there to build these fighters. It's only going to be hardcores that are going to buy this pay-per-view. Well, I'm sure that Joe Joyce wanted a lot of money for this fight. And I think ideally Frank Warren would have wanted to do it as a standard BT show rather than pay-per-view. Back in the days when Frank Warren's business was a little healthier, he probably would have taken the hit in the pocket, you know, on the show and lost money in order to pay Joyce and Dubois what they wanted as an investment for the future, you know, building both of these fighters up or whoever wins the fight. So back in the days when his business was doing better, I think that's what Frank Warren would have done. But right now, Frank Warren's business isn't doing very well. He's losing money year on year. We're talking about millions of pounds a year he's losing. Just go to a company's house and look up Queensbury Promotions. It's all public record. As such, as I say, I think that's why he's done the pay-per-view. And also, I think that's why he has signed Daniel Dubois to this five-year extension. And as I said in the recent video about the Dubois you know, five-year extension, it's never a good idea to sign contracts that long if you're a fighter, especially if your promoter has fallen on hard times and is not doing well financially. And that isn't just Frank Warren, any promoter who's in that situation. It's not good to sign long, long-term contracts with them because if their ship starts going down, they're going to try and drag you down with them because they see you as their life raft. So they're going to cling on to you for dear life because they think that the survival of their business hinges on you. You don't want to be in that situation because again, things can get very ugly. And I'm not just talking about Frank Warren. Many promoters have been in situations like this where they don't want their business to go down. So the few fighters they have left who are somewhat commodities, they hold on to them. They don't want to let them leave. Even if they can't provide the fighter the opportunities which they're contractually obligated to, it ends up in some long litigation process where the fighter is having to spend loads of money on legal fees. Obviously, the promoter himself is spending loads of money, money on legal It just gets into an absolute mess. So, again, any fighters out there who are looking to sign with promoters, seriously, one of the first things you want to do is go to company's house and check out the health of their business. Are they turning a profit? You know, how stable is that situation? Because if you're with an unstable company, then things can happen to you in your career. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the uh, examples I gave in the previous video, for example, like uh, Andre Ward when he was with the Goosens, Andre Ward wasn't getting the opportunities he wanted. He tried to get out of his contract because of that, but got dragged into this long legal battle where he lost probably some of the best years of his career during that legal battle with the Goosens. When Dan Goosen died, that's when Andre Ward, I believe shortly after that, was finally released from his contract. Yeah. And again, that was a promotional company that wasn't doing very, very well. Goose and Tudor. Was it Goose and Tudor or Tudor? They weren't doing very well. This is what often happens with companies like that. Okay. So, and as I, as I previously explained, some people are going to think, well, 
the fighters shouldn't be trying to get out of their contract before it's expired. Because like here with Josh Warrington, for example, his contract is expired. That's why he's been able to split with Frank Warren without any shenanigans, okay? But it's not that straightforward all the time. As I said, if a, if a promoter can't provide you with the opportunities which he's legally obligated to provide you with in the contract, then you can say, okay, well, I want to get out of the contract then. And that's when a legal battle can ensue. That's when it's like going through the contracts with a fine-tooth comb, interpreting different words and different terms. This is where the lawyers come in, yeah? That's what lawyers are paid to do, find loopholes in the language in the contract. So it's why sometimes contracts can take a long time to draw up because they're, they're getting the language to be so precise that there's no interpretation and there's no way to get out of it. Yeah, at least that's the idea. But again, some lawyers know the law better than others. Some lawyers know legalese better than others. So anyway, just a, a quick video on that about Frank Warren and... What's going to happen to his business? Because right now he's got no world champions left, as far as I know. Tyson Fury, of course, is still with Frank Warren, and that could be his ace in the hole. But Tyson Fury doesn't have a world title at the moment, and he's based in the United States. So even though that's a great uh, a fighter to have, if he's not fighting in the UK, it's not really doing that much for Frank Warren's business. His rematch with Deontay Wilder is going to be in the US. That's going to bring in pay-per-view revenue. Obviously, Frank Warren will get a cut of that. But who else has he got other than that? Anthony Yard? I mean, you know, Yard is a a good prospect slash contender. I guess you have to call him a contender now. He did fight for the title. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders is gone. Josh Warrington's gone. I get, has he still got Cole Frampton? Again, Frampton's going to be based in the States. So that's not much good for Frank Warren. So he's really pinning all his hopes on Daniel Dubois, hence the five-year deal, and Joe Joyce potentially. But I suspect that Joe Joyce is not on a very long-term contract with Frank Warren. And here's another thing I want to talk about, because a lot of people were baffled as to why uh, Joe Joyce, excuse me, why Daniel Dubois would sign this long contract. Well, you know, because they're saying who's advising him and what's his manager doing and all this kind of stuff. Well, I don't know what kind of relationship uh, Daniel Dubois' manager has with Frank Warren. I believe his manager is Martin Bowers. That's his manager and trainer. So I don't know what kind of relationship he has with Frank Warren. But what I can tell you for a fact, after following this sport and being involved in this sport for many decades, there are certain managers who have very cozy relationships with certain promoters. And so when you go to uh, do a management deal, that manager is often just a proxy for the promoter. So basically the promoter and the manager are supposed to do different jobs. I mean, you see the way Joe Gallagher is, for example, the way he talks to Eddie Hearn. Joe Gallagher is quite combative with Eddie Hearn. That's the way it's supposed to be. Joe Gallagher's supposed to have a, you know, a different goal in mind for Callum Smith than Eddie Hearn has, a slightly different goal. Or they, they may have different goals in, in certain situations, okay? The manager is supposed to be the closest to the fighter rather than the trainer, and he's really, really supposed to look out for the fighter's best interests. 
But sometimes when you have a manager that's actually really cozy with the promoter, he's just doing the promoter's work, just getting paid a manager's fee for it. You understand? That goes on. There's a lot of that in boxing. I, again, I don't know if that's the case with Daniel Dubois. Uh, maybe they just got offered a lot of money up front and said, you know what, we'll take that. But five years is a long time. With Joe Joyce, on the other hand, I suspect he isn't on a particularly long contract. Sam Jones, again, appears to be quite combative with Frank Warren and battled very, very hard to get Joe Joyce the kind of money that he feels like he deserves for taking the risk against Dubois. So if, let's say, uh, Joe Joyce was to beat Daniel, excuse me, Daniel Dubois, Joyce might keep his options open. He might think, you know what? I'm going to take this victory and go elsewhere. Yeah, I, I suspect that Sam Jones wouldn't have advised Joe Joyce to take a particularly long contract with Warren. I could be wrong, but that's my suspicion. So another thing I want to talk about as well with regards to this Dubois-Joyce pay-per-view is the undercard. You know, some people have rightly brought this to my attention because the undercard for AJ versus Dylan White was a pretty strong undercard if we have a look at it here. So you had AJ, Dylan White, top of the bill. You had Kevin Mitchell versus Barroso on the undercard. You had Tony Belly versus Masternek. That was a really good fight, Belly versus Masternek. You had Luke Campbell versus Mendy. That was a really good fight. You had Eubank Jr. versus Spike O'Sullivan. That was a really exciting fight. Uh, Paulie Malignaggi in a nothing fight. And then you had Derek Chisora against some journeyman. But, you know, Chisora is still a stalwart of British boxing. So that was a pretty damn good card. Like, not the most amazing card you've ever seen, but it's pretty strong. Is Joyce Dubois going to have a card anywhere near that strong? Because, again, we're comparing like for like here. Top of the bill, British heavyweight title fight, AJ versus Dylan White. They charged, I think, $16.95. Was it $15.95 or $16.95 for it? I forget. This one is going to be £20. Is it going to have an undercard as strong as this? Probably not, because who has Frank Warren got to put on there? And that's when the hypocrisy comes up again. When Frank Warren said that this was Tosh. That's what he called this card. Tosh said that there's no way this should be on pay-per-view, but yet this is on pay-per-view. And don't get it twisted. The top of the bill is a great fight. It's a fight I'm really intrigued by, to be honest. I'm probably looking forward to this fight more than the Wilder Fury rematch. Truth be told, I'm really intrigued by this fight and I might do another video on it in terms of the tactics I think both guys can employ. So yeah, anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about all the points I've raised in this video. How long can Frank Warren continue with a business that isn't making money? He's hemorrhaging a lot of top fighters. He's putting most of his eggs into one basket with Daniel Dubois. You know, he's got guys like Frampton and Fury fighting overseas. And how long are they going to be with him? Because again, I have to imagine that they haven't signed extremely long contracts with him either. Why would they? It's like, again, going back to the music industry. Artists which sign these deals that give the record label a tremendous amount of power over them are usually artists who are starting out in the music business. They're not normally experienced artists because an experienced artist, an artist who has a high market value, when he's shopping around for a new deal, he's going to 
try and get a deal that favours him more so than it favours the record label. But when you get a young, inexperienced artist who's just trying to break into the industry, that's normally when they sign their whole life away to the record company. Yeah. And that's what it appears to be with Daniel Dubois here, that he's signed five years of his career away. And I don't know whether his contract has expired yet, his current contract, because this is an extension. So it could be even longer than five years from now when his contract expires. So, man, I, I really hope that, you know, Daniel Dubois has a miraculous uh, turn of good fortune and that five-year deal that he signed with Frank Warren doesn't come back to haunt him. I really hope so because he's a very promising young fighter. Obviously, he's young and some people are saying, yeah, he can afford to have five years where he doesn't maybe get the fights that he wants to get or isn't promoted in, in the best way. But can he really? Because in boxing, the sooner you start, the sooner you finish, generally. Mike Tyson was world champion by the age of 20. But by the age of 31, 32, he was pretty much finished. You know, the sooner you start is the sooner you finish. Fighters who turn pro late tend to have, you know, a lot of them tend to have longer careers. They tend to go on longer. There are some exceptions, of course, but uh, that's how it usually is. You know, George Foreman became the oldest heavyweight champion in history and he started his professional career fairly young, but he had a gap of 10 years <laughs> where he was, he was away from the ring. So, uh, you know, that was obviously him recuperating, resting, etc. I mean, not intentionally. He, may, he might have decided to uh, initially quit boxing for good, but that's what happened. He got a lot of rest and recuperation during that 10 years. If Daniel Dubois is fighting solidly for the next five years, that's five years of wear and tear on your body. In the training camps, in the fights, so on and so forth. So by the time he's, how old is Daniel Dubois now? 20, 22, 23? So if he comes out of the contract when he's 27, 28, I mean, he might not have that many years left in the game by that point. We don't know whether Daniel Dubois is the real deal yet. If he turns out to be more like a David Price than an Anthony Joshua or a Tyson Fury, then it's going to be a sad story over there for him. So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about all the points I've raised in this video. It's Hatman, I'm out. Hatman merch is now available. We got t-shirts, vests, hoodies, and more. Just click the link below. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today.
Danny Flexen here with Fraser Clark, which is a super heavyweight rep for Team GB, going into the first qualifier, European qualifier. Was it a formality, you being picked, as harsh as that might sound on some of the um, other ones? I don't know about formality because there's that much talent on this squad that I don't think anyone should think it's a formality. Maybe Pat McCormack because he's a bit special, but anyone else, you know, if you, if you take your foot off the gas, there's someone ready to step into your, uh, into your shoes. So, um, obviously I've been boxing well, I'm experienced, I've been here a long time, so uh, and I'm training hard and the coaches see that so I hope I give them you know, an easy decision to make but formality, no, no one in this squad gets anywhere without putting the work in so. Do you feel like you're coming into your best form at around the right time and also who do you feel are going to be your biggest threats at the qualifier? Yeah 100% I feel like the experience, my experience is, is really starting to show um, I'm starting to actually become an athlete because for a long time I was just like a chubby kid that that did a bit of boxing and bang a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could fight a bit, but now I'm starting to feel, you know, fit, strong. I'm, I'm living a life a lot better. I'm being a lot more professional with everything. So it's all helping. And it's all, all building towards, you know, Olympic champion. That, that, that's, that's what I look. I look at the, I look at the ingredients it takes to make an Olympic champion, and all them things which I've just said. You know, you've got to bang on with all of them. You've got, I've got a tick list, and if all them things aren't ticked off. If there's one or two things missing, you won't quite get it, and that's what you know. That's what I've been told. That's what a lot of the coaches tell me as well. So, um, as for people to look out for in the European qualifier, um, I think there's you know there's all the Europeans is Europe. Europe's known as a tough, um, a tough category. Do you know what I mean? So it's one of them that the Ukraine, you know, the Ukraine representative is European champion. I lost to the German in the European Games. Um, Spanish, you know, he, I lost to him not too many, a few months ago. The French guy I beat in the world, he's come back over here sparring since, gave me a hind in mind, you know, <laughs> I was a bit unfit, but, you know, there's, there's people, there's people out there, there's, there's, well, let's put it this way, it's a top four for me, and there's definitely six good, good, good enough people to qualify there, so, you know, you're going to have to be at your best. You talked about those little kind of marginal gains, the little things that can make a difference. What's the key things for you that you've had to change? Um, for me, it's lifestyle. Like um, I think the late nights. I, you know, I like I say, I'm dead honest. Um, I'm from Burton on Trent. We make beer. <laughs> I, I grew up drinking pints of beer. Yeah, you drink it rather than make it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's just them, them little gains like that. And you know, the, the diet for a big fellow is very important. Um, optimum weight, um, getting the road working, getting the strength conditioning. And it's just, I think for me, a big thing for me is attendance, making sure every session is nailed on and 100% given in that session. That way there, take it off, and like, like I say, and uh, feel better for it afterwards, you know what I mean? Them, them things that should come standard at times with me, I like I said, dead honest, sometimes it has been, sometimes it's been 50% session, 60% session, that's gone out the window, you know, for, 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 for a while now. Uh, my mentality has changed, and I know I see what it takes. Now you know I mean? I'm surrounded by great fighters all the time, from the amateurs to the pros. You know, uh, Andy Joshua, Khalid Yafai, Josh Boatsi, Lawrence Coley, just to name a few of these people that I speak to regularly. And I see the way they're living their life, and I see the achievements they, they've made as amateurs and now as pros. So I take a lot from them. Do you remember where you were and what you were doing when uh, Joshua won the gold at London 2012? Yeah, I can remember. So the. Um, the semi-final, I was down in London. Uh, I watched it, and then the final, it was it was it was the summer, so it was last holiday time. I was in the uh, Iron Upper, 
and I come out. You timed that well, didn't you? Yeah, well, well, yeah, it literally flew out iron up. So I'm in this bar, um, probably 200 Brits in there, all, all giving it large. I've gone to the people behind the bar and said, look, I need this putting on this big screen. Yeah. I'm there like a madman screaming, <laughs> shouting. People are thinking, oh, Kim, who do you think he is? Like, were you like, telling like, them you knew him? And they were like, yeah, all I right. know him, I know him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course you do, mate. Of course you know him. But obviously. I think they when I when literally when I uh, when he when his hand got raised and I'm chucking pints up in there, <laughs> I think they realised you know well, I think he you know he's acting a bit emotional. Yeah, yeah. This guy, so yeah, I can remember exactly where I was. Him still training in the gym as a professional is that kind of a constant reminder then of that achievement and the fact that that's what you want to emulate? Oh, massively. He's um, you know he like I say he's an inspiration for for a lot of people in this gym and not just that. I think you know the, the way he is as a person. Um, He's a grinded, grinded lad, so I think that seeing him in the gym, see the work he does, constant, constant reminder that I, I remember him working towards the Olympics, very, very professional. Um, I say, you know, in that cycle, uh, Anthony Gogo, Luke Campbell, and the Joshua were meticulous, you know, in preparation. They were, they were, they were. I remember Joshua used to have two, two pad men in here, and he was, it was hot. I used to sweat sitting outside looking at him. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, th and I knew that one day, that's what I'm going to have to do to, to reach that level, and that's the kind of work we're doing now. And obviously you were um, behind Joe Joyce in the pecking order for some time. He went to Rio in yeah. 2016. How hard was that for you? I mean, obviously you were learning all the time, but knowing that you're sitting behind him, you're not the youngest either on the team, no. so thinking, will my chance ever come? The thing, the thing that was difficult was, I was winning. I, 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 on the run-up to uh, build-up to Rio, I kept winning, I didn't lose. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to push him right to the wire. He's in front of the minute. I was waiting, I sort of waiting for him to slip up so I could jump over. In credit to Joe, he was winning too. So as he was getting further, I was behind, but I could never take over. Yeah. Um, and it's credit to him, you know. Like I said, like when it comes to the decision of who's going to go to the Olympics and uh, you know who's going to go to the qualifier, I can remember this this time of year, Rob Rob ran me. He said, look, he said you've done fantastic. You're doing amazing. He said. If I look, if you look at Joe's accolades, there's no way I can pick you over his. You know, European medalist, world medalist. He doesn't lose. I was like, Rob, fair enough, man. I understand <laughs> your decision. Like uh, I said, if he'd if he'd lost two or three on the balance, I'd have been knocking on your door asking the question. But you know, I was smart enough and I'm clever enough. I've been in the gym long enough to know that he earned his right to go to the Olympic qualifier, qualifying, and proving himself, earned earn, earn the right to be an Olympian. Olympic champion for me, ended up with a silver medal. But yeah, so the way these coaches work, you know, they're, they're fair and they've been around long enough so that they know when they make these choices, it's the right choices. And now it's your time, though. You must be delighted. The focus is all on you. Yeah, I mean, I, like I say, I'm, I'm trying to go under the radar. I'm trying to just get qualified. Qualifying is, is all that's on my mind. Like, um, I don't care if people think I don't look good. I don't care what anyone what anyone thinks. Get in there, win my three or four bars, whatever it is, five bars, whatever it is. Get them won, get qualified. That that's half my dream, you know, in my in my hand. And the good thing is it's in my control, so I, I won't I won't turn around and blame anyone. I'm working hard now, so this is all, all on me. So I'm not going to um, pass the blame. I'm going to be there. I'm going to qualify, and I'm going to be proud when I do it. Well, there's people out there who are going to want to watch you build up to that and, and get, hopefully get the job done. How can they find you on social media? I'm all over Instagram, you know, uh, <laughs> Big Phrase Boxer. 
Facebook, Fraser Clark, and um, Twitter at Big Fraser Boxer. Um, you know, like I said, in the minute, even even the social media is taking a, taking a dip, and I keep see, I keep getting messages from friends. Oh, what are you doing? You need to you know you need to post more. You need to post more. <laughs> Trying to find the time and the effort to, to post at the minute is. Need to employ it's, it's like hard. a lackey. I could, I could do <laughs> someone to just, I was going to get Galal to just follow me around with the camera, but he's got to do a bit of training as well. So a bit, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, everything everything at the minute is probably a bit subdued, but it's all because I'm, I'm just dead focused. Brilliant. We wish you the very no, best. Worries, man. I appreciate it. Deontay Wilder keeps calling Tyson Fury pillow-fisted and says he can't punch at all. Well, I'm not sure whether Deontay Wilder actually believes that or if he's just trying to goad Tyson Fury in, get Tyson Fury to fight him aggressively because that plays into Deontay Wilder's hands. I suspect it's a little bit of both. I think that Wilder genuinely believes Fury can't hurt him but he also wants Fury to come and try and prove that he can hurt him because that makes Wilder's job a lot easier. Now, some people are saying that Wilder was hurt several times in the first fight. I think even Fury said he hurt Wilder a few times in the first fight. Well, I wasn't the one taking the punches. I wasn't in Wilder's shoes. But from what I saw, I don't think Wilder was ever hurt in the fight. Deontay Wilder is a gangly, skinny individual and sometimes his legs can look a little, you know, dodgy. <laughs> he can look a little wobbly on his legs, even when he hasn't been hit. That's just the way he is, because he's a very, you know, gangly, ungainly individual. And sometimes guys like that can look a little wobbly when they're not actually hurt. So I think that's what the situation was with Deontay Wilder. I don't think Tyson Fury hurt him in the slightest throughout the fight, to be honest with you. And I'm going to keep on maintaining my assertion that Tyson Fury needs to box the same way he did in the first fight just be sharper and you know a little bit more on the ball defensively and he may be able to get that points decision win which he didn't get in the first fight but if he goes along with what he claims he's going to do and what his dad thinks he's going to do which is come in heavy and go for a knockout look I don't completely discount the possibility that Tyson Fury could be successful doing that. I think if Tyson Fury was to line up his best shot and Deontay Wilder was stood still with his chin in the air, Fury could probably hurt him or drop him. But the opportunity to land that kind of punch is probably not going to come up in the fight. I don't think Tyson Fury has the reflexes with his power punches. You see, because being a prolific knockout puncher, you have to have the reflexes to be able to set yourself and throw with maximum power like that at a drop of a dime in a split second. Tyson Fury, I think he can punch hard, but he needs somebody to be absolutely stationary and then he's going to load up on his big right hook and it's all very cumbersome. I, I don't see that kind of shot landing against Deontay Wilder. The faster right hands that Fury throws don't really have much on them. They tend to be arm punches, yeah? And those are the shots he can land on Wilder, but I don't see those shots hurting Wilder. So he says he's gone over to Sugar Hill to learn this cronk technique of how to get those fast, powerful right hands off the way Tommy Hearns used to, the way Lennox Lewis used to, 
way Gerald McClellan used to, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Can Tyson Fury learn to do that in one training camp? I have serious doubts. So I'm intrigued by this fight because I want to see the tactics that Tyson Fury comes out with. I think we pretty much all know what Deontay Wilder is going to do. He's going to be a little bit patient. I think he's going to try to use his jab a little bit more, but essentially he's just waiting for that big right hand. That's it. With Tyson Fury, he might decide to box, same way he did in the first fight, or he might switch it up and actually try and bully Deontay Wilder. You see, I haven't really paid too much attention to what Fury and his dad John are saying because it could be misdirection. I mean, I'm entertaining the possibility that they're telling the truth, of course, particularly because of the fact that Tyson Fury looks to have bulked up a bit and he's joined, you know, Javon Sugar Hill. But I pay more attention when Peter Fury, I know Peter Fury is, I guess, not on good terms with his nephew Tyson and his brother John anymore. But Peter Fury came out in a recent interview and said that he thinks Tyson should do exactly what Tyson and his dad are saying they're going to do, which is walk Wilder down, lean weight on him, and try and take him into the trenches. So when Peter Fury is saying that, he is a sensible head, Peter. I rate his boxing IQ very, very highly. And I take more notice of things that Peter says rather than Tyson or his dad, okay? Not that Tyson and his dad don't know boxing, because they do, but they play a lot of games, you know? Whereas Peter is more of a straight shooter. So I listen to what Peter says a lot more, even though he's no longer involved in their setup. And he thinks that Tyson should use his weight you know, get forward and drag Deontay Wilder into a physical kind of fight. I personally think it's a bad idea because all you have to be with Deontay Wilder is stationary for too long for a split second and he's got you with that right hand. You don't want to do that. I mean, John Fury was doubting Deontay Wilder's punching power again when he did that round table with uh, David Hay and the other guys. Because going into the first fight, John Fury was doubting Wilder's power. After the first fight, John Fury said, I don't doubt his power anymore, his power's for real. But now that they're having the rematch, John Fury again is back to doubting Wilder's power, saying, well, if his power is that great, then my son wouldn't, got, wouldn't have got off the canvas in the 12th round because he was weak going into that fight. So Wilder don't really hit that hard. Well, it was the 12th round. And I don't think Wilder caught Tyson Fury with his hardest shot. Truth be told, I think, look, Anybody who's boxed will know that every right hand you throw doesn't have an equal amount of power on it. Particularly if you're in the 10th, 11th round of sparring or if you're a pro in actual fight, your right hands are generally not going to be as hard in the 12th as they are in the 1st. Okay? And as I say, I don't think Wilder caught Fury with the best right hand he could have caught him with in that 12th round. If they're banking on Wilder not being able to seriously hurt Fury because Fury's stronger now and all this kind of stuff, I think that's a very, very dangerous thing to be thinking. I think Deontay Wilder can flatten pretty much any heavyweight out there if he catches him right. The only guy who Deontay Wilder was in with who didn't get seriously hurt from what I saw was Johan Duopa. Because he stopped Duopa, uh, Duopa at the end of the fight. He kind of overwhelmed him and then Duopa was up against the ropes and the ref stopped it. But Duopa was able to take Deontay Wilder's power throughout the course of that fight. Because Duopa kept his chin glued to his chest and he kept his hands glued to the 
you know, his head. <laughs> That's literally how Duopa fought the whole fight. So Wilder kept hitting Duopa on the forehead and on the nose bridge. That's where he was catching him over and over again. So by the end of the fight, Duopa's nose and his, his forehead were all swollen and cut, you know. So if you can somehow manage to do that, fight with your hands up in a really tight guard, maybe you can manage to not get chinned by Deontay Wilder if you're trying to walk him down, but you're still going to take a beating. You know, it's still not a good way to go about it. Wilder does have an issue with his right hand. He's broken it several times in his career, but he's a guy who seems to be able to fight through the pain a lot of the time. I mean, the only time when his right hand seemed to be completely out of commission was in the Chris Ariola fight, where it was noticeable that he wasn't using one of his hands. But in all the other fights where he's injured his hand, he just seems to fight through the pain. Like against Berman Stavern, he was fighting through the pain. He says that his hand was also injured in the Fury, uh, in the first Fury fight, fought through the pain. So, yeah, very, very risky strategy if you're going to go forward on Deontay Wilder. I think there are fighters who could have success attacking Deontay Wilder and putting him under pressure. But I think those are fighters who are very skilled uh, pressure fighters who have very good head movement. Like a prime Mike Tyson, for example. Good head movement coming forward can get underneath Deontay Wilder's right hand, put pressure on him while avoiding, you know, the right hand coming in. Somebody like that, you know. I mean, even if Derek Chisora was in there against Deontay Wilder, I'm not saying Derek Chisora would beat Wilder, but from a stylistic point of view, he has certain things there that could give Wilder issues. Because again, Chisora's moving his head and he's coming underneath Wilder's right hand. Wilder doesn't have a great uppercut. I know he hit Ortiz with an uppercut in their first fight, but you know Ortiz was pretty much spent by that time. Um, Wilder doesn't have a great uppercut or a very prolific uppercut. So Chisora's bobbing and weaving and he's coming underneath Wilder's punches. Then he's coming up with hooks. Yeah, It will be difficult for Chisora to pin somebody like Wilder down. You know, let's not beat around the bush here. Um, because although Chisora's got good head movement and he applies pressure well, he's not the fastest guy in the world and Deontay Wilder is fast. Yeah, but again, I'm talking about stylistically. That's the kind of style that I think could be successful against Wilder if you had a talented enough heavyweight to be able to employ that style. Yeah, the bobbing and weaving, coming forward, getting underneath the shots and then... um ripping Wilder's body and coming upstairs to the head. Joe Frazier style, basically, or Mike Tyson style. Um, and those are little guys as well, you know, much shorter guys. That's why it's more difficult to catch them when they're bobbing and weaving coming in. But if you've got a big guy like Tyson Fury, who's six seven plus, 250, 60 pounds plus, I mean, he's not going to be able to bob and weave underneath Deontay Wilder's punches. <laughs> you know? Like the best way for him to stay away from Wilder's punches is to stay away, to stay on the outside, move around, be slick, draw Wilder's lead and then make him miss and make him pay. Just like he did in the first fight. Going forward, I mean, I've never seen Tyson Fury look particularly clever going forward. He looks cumbersome going forward. He did against Steve Connor. He did against Otto Wallin. You know, he did it in many of his fights back in the days where he was going forward and trying to make it a dogfight. He looks very cumbersome and... and just a sitting duck for somebody like Deontay Wilder. So anyway, that's my take on it, people. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Wilder saying that Tyson Fury's pillow fisted. Does he really believe it? Or is it just a way of golden Tyson Fury in and getting him to fight more aggressively so Wilder can crack him? Um, again, the one area where I'll disagree with Deontay Wilder is that 
saying Fury can't hurt him or, you know, Fury doesn't have any power at all. I think Fury can hurt him, but I just don't think Fury has the delivery system necessary to be able to load up on that big right hook and catch Wilder. I mean, Fury doesn't really throw that big right hook that often in most of his fights. Against Journeyman, he'll throw it because they're slow enough and, you know, easy to hit. So he'll load up on his big right hook and hit him with it. But against Wilder, I don't see that shot landing, man. I don't think he's really going to, certainly in his previous fight against Wilder, he didn't really try to throw it that much because he knew he'd be vulnerable if he did. And his straight right hand don't really have much mustard on it. But um, in theory, let me just say that, I think Fury does have the power to hurt Wilder, but it's not practical power, that particular, you know, that particular shot, the right hook. It's not practical. Anyway, perhaps I'll be proved wrong uh, when the two guys square off. Is it next weekend? It is, isn't it? Not this weekend coming, the weekend after. So maybe I'll be proved wrong. We'll see. Let me know, people, what you think in the comments. It's Hatman, I'm out. Hatman merch is now available. We got t-shirts, vests, hoodies, and more. Just click the link below. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today.